Welcome to our special live production episode on migrating from baseband to IP video production. Let's dive right in here. Every year after NAB, the Key Code team gets together to discuss the latest trends in the dynamic world of video production. While most of the buzz at NAB 2023 centered around AI, there was another trend that deserves just as much, probably more, attention, even if it didn't grab as many headlines or generate as much angst. We're talking about the maturity and availability of professional IP-based video production solutions. Take a look. Blackmagic made waves by announcing affordable SMPTE 2110 converters, making a once expensive solution more accessible. And while it's not an NAB announcement per se, Dante has expanded their horizons beyond audio. Dante AV now enables the transmission of both video and audio over a network. And the stalwart NDI has continued to dominate in product adoption, offering an affordable, flexible, and feature-rich solution. With the SMPTE 2110 spec at five years, an NDI approaching its seven to eight year mark, we're now at the point where we have go-to practical solutions for production companies for their studio builds and refits. Now, you might be wondering if the live production and broadcast industry is fully embracing ethernet wire-based IP network topologies. Well, the answer is no. Baseband SDI remains a reliable and impressive option with the ability to get to 4K, HDR, all through 12G connectivity. So if you're building a new video studio from scratch, what approach makes more sense? IP-based ethernet cables or 12G baseband wiring? Is there gonna be a strong argument today for one or the, over the other, or should you consider a hybrid approach? What are gonna be the common challenges associated with each of those choices, and how can you navigate them? To help us crack the code on this topic, we're joined today by our team of expert engineers, Mark Siegel, Vice President of Business Development, Mason Pierce, our VP of Broadcast, John Rutherford, Senior Solutions Architect, and myself, Jeff Sangpil, Chief Technology Officer. Together, we've got like a zillion years of experience in the industry, and we've got the hair to prove it, or some of us do. Get ready for an insightful and lively discussion as we unravel the mysteries of migrating baseband to IP video productions. Why this topic today? We're going to get into the basics. Two-part question. What are the main reasons a studio is going to build their facility around traditional baseband SDI? Is 12G ready for prime time? We are um, currently here at Dallas Cowboys. So there, here's a great example of a facility moving and transitioning into a 12G environment. There's there's some caveats to 12G. Uh, SD, SDI, baseband infrastructures, we really got comfortable and used to Hey, here's the standard. Here's here's you know run transmission distances and run lengths that are acceptable. And we had our charts, and we could just work through those, work from those, and everything was good. Well, 12G's kind of introduced uh, a little bit of fly in the ointment, if you will. Uh, not all manufacturers' chipsets, transmitters, receivers are really doing uh, the same level that other that another one might be doing. So, you know, it's it becomes a hey, is this distance actually going to get me a 12G signal or am I running at the edge of that distance where I'm going to start having issues with dropout or not even seeing a picture at all? Um, definitely, you know, 12G is certainly a, an easy to integrate, but you really just need to be careful about, hey, what am I actually, what's my equipment? What is that equipment, you know, transmitter going to be sending? 
how long is this run length and do kind of your your loss calculations and make sure that those calculations are done based off of what you know that equipment is doing versus following just a chart and a table because again not all manufacturers are created equal in the 12g world chipsets are varying as what from what we can what we've seen so it's just a game of you know really doing your homework understanding what your run lengths are if it's viable in a 12g path and then that's kind of the budget piece too of oh wow you know i've got to run this x distance i'm going to need an rg11 cable one does my infrastructure even support that many runs of that size cable do i have the pathways in place does it make sense to go fiber because i'm having to increase my cable size cuz once you start getting into larger you know rg6 and beyond up to the rg11 type coax you're really spending some serious dollars on that infrastructure um, if you've got fiber infrastructure, moving things over fiber, as we did with 3G and, and other baseband signals, uh, it might start to make more sense, right? So doing the homework, really understanding what that you know loss is happening through your system, so you're not surprised by your end by by the end game, right? Um, but I would say still, you know, 12G is certainly a viable uh, path forward. Uh, 12G can be complicated from a perspective of, is it single wire? Is it quad split? You know, what, what sort of signals am I going to be getting from my equipment and being prepared for that? You know, someone might say they give you a 12G output, which is really just a quad 3G link and being able to gearbox that, bring it into your environment, make sure your router is comfortable with that. If it's a facility router, things like that, you kind of have to go a few steps further and think through. And as we move forward into resolutions like 8k now you're talking about a quad 12g connection to get these cameras up and running right so understand or or screens camera screens whatever it might be right so really having a good understanding of what your plan is in your facility what those run lengths look like and then auditing that or doing those calculations so there's no surprise at the end because the one thing we have discovered is after you get it all in Cable stretchers are really, really expensive. They don't work too well either. So uh, let's flip it around. What's the reason Studio is going to go with, uh, you know, network and IP-based uh, setup in, in the first place? How does an IP-based system provide that scalability and flexibility compared to traditional baseband and SDI infrastructure? Uh, what steps should you take to ensure that it's future-proof? Is is IP-based infrastructure synonymous with future-proofing, really? John, what do you think about that? Well, we can start to Mason's point and Mark's point as far as cost and, and infrastructure, right? So if you look at a standard baseband signal path, you've got one line coming out of, say, a camera going to a router and then another line coming out of that router going somewhere else. Um, the distribution of that signal across um, an environment requires a lot of dedicated cabling, a lot of infrastructure uh, expenses and costs. Um, when you're dealing with an IP-based infrastructure, the router gets replaced with a switch, and the switch is a multi-point in and out. So um, while you could kind of think of it like routing, it's really more of just uh, connecting to different devices in the network. So at that level, um, not having to pull standard SDI cabling around a facility if we're looking at an upgrade or um, a green space that we're bringing up from, from scratch, um, 
low voltage cable providers or contractors are much more comfortable pulling CAT 6 or even CAT 7 cabling um, throughout a facility than they are with, uh, with the kind of SDI cables that we typically have to deal with. Also, you've got um, a more friendly experience with regards to amplification of a signal. Once um, a cable hits a switch, it immediately gets amplified, if you will, so that uh, it, if it needs to go longer runs, um, that signal integrity is maintained. And even circling back to the point of fiber, which we're doing a lot of that um, because of either A distances or because of bandwidth, um, there's that future proofing. Uh, we literally just finished or in the process of finishing a project. Uh, the organization just pulled in all brand new horizontal cabling and they did fiber everywhere. So again, they're looking at that from the standpoint of we really don't care what kind of speeds we need because it's just light that needs to go through that, uh, that fiber cable. So again, eliminates the need for potentially having to upgrade those infrastructure points. And as far as adding or expanding or scaling the system up, um, if a 48 port switch isn't enough, you build a fabric around that network and open up more ports to be able to communicate across the, the facility. So, John, that and raises I think for, a, oh, sorry. Um, what about a hybrid kind of setup where you've got some IP, uh, some baseband? Uh, Mason, your your point, and what do you think about getting into hybrid setups? Yeah, to jump in just to kind of round it out some of John. So, and then I'll definitely get into hybrid, right? So, for me, it's you know looking at a at a design, whether it's a net new greenfield facility, it's an existing space, you know. There's the question of pathways and how easy is it going to be to upgrade this infrastructure, right? That's a piece that goes into it. Size of facility is key, too. It's like, okay, hey, if I have a very dispersed facility amongst a large campus, things like that, fiber is a, you know, a have-to-have, have, right? Um, as facilities are starting to do these upgrades, John nailed it on the head. You know, light doesn't care about bandwidth, right? It's the, it's the, the systems behind it that are actually working with that. Let's go down to just nitty gritty. Hopper, we're, we're talking about electrons running down a line. 12G, that's 12 gig, right? So that's a that's significant bandwidth down a single copper line, right? That we're getting to the point where, and yes, sure, Ohm's law, everything's getting smaller, we're getting more bandwidth. But at a certain point, you get diminishing returns on something like a copper uh, transmission line, right? There's only so much we can do, and technology is certainly, you know, keeping us ahead. But that's where the, you know, you start to see the inflection of fiber starting to really make sense as you start working towards higher and higher bandwidth operations, right? So we're seeing more people transition into fiber infrastructure, and that's scary, right? A lot of people, oh man, fiber, I got to polish these ends, I got to keep all this stuff clean. Fiber's come a long way. Modern connector, you know, fusion splicing versus, you know, mechanical polishing. There's easier ways in the field to deploy it. There's easier ways in the field to maintain it. Uh, going from like your SC, ST, LC standard form factors to things like MPO, which are now, you know, multi-strand fiber connections, which really simplify the process, putting those into cassettes, breaking them out. Um, there's more and more in the fiber side of the of 
the technology that makes things a little easier for you down the road and offers the flexibility. So what if I, you know, copper cable, hey, great, we have a copper cable that was doing 3G bandwidth and I want to try to throw 12G bandwidth down it. Mm, not going to work. I have to improve the quality of that copper cable. Uh, that's pulling a new cable. That's replacing infrastructure. Now, fiber, one day I'm doing 10 gig. The next day I can plug in a 40 gig. The next day I can plug in a, and let's go to modern, right? 40 gigs kind of going away and being deprecated. Now we're talking about 25, 100 gig. 10 gig can now go 25 gig. Same fiber. Didn't even doesn't even matter to the fiber. It doesn't care what type of bandwidth is moving down it. So there's some advantages there that create the efficiencies for your future proofing path as technology improves. Now this aged copper infrastructure that I have to upgrade to be able to support these new workflows that I'm incorporating, uh, I can avoid that because I can just move to a media, if you will, instead of copper, fiber optics, and then I'm not playing that same game. So fiber is certainly starting to make, you know, make a lot of sense for a lot of people. Now, hybrid perspective, hybrid starts to really make sense when you have, again, let's go to a, a larger campus facility. So let's say you have, you know, a studio or production control rooms in one building, and then you have venues doing various other things. Well, in your studio or control room facility, copper might make a lot of sense. It's cost effective. Your runs are short. You're hitting bulkhead panels. You don't necessarily want to have all these transceivers and added costs there to get that into a fiber network or a, a fiber media path, right? Um, but now I've got to go out to this far side. So now I've got to have a fiber link and maybe it's a, you know, like a stadium, for example, that I'm in. Okay, now I have to distribute fiber everywhere because... Whenever, you know, these things are built, they're not building them with the mindset of let's keep our run length short and make sure it's nice and easy for these cable paths to, you know, locations to be placed. That's not how that works. So it's, you know, you might only need to line a site, go 100 feet, but your run is 500 feet because you've got to go up here, over there, through this IDF, down over there. So that's where it starts to make sense. Again, back to the environment. Are things in my environment dispersed? Are things in my environment localized and concentrated? Um, hybrid will make a lot of sense when you have kind of a mix of things where you've got some dispersion and you have some concentration. Put in copper where the concentration makes sense, put in fiber where you can't accomplish it in a copper infrastructure or you can accomplish it in a more cost-effective manner without copper infrastructure. An interesting thing on hybrid and something to just keep in, in mind and not necessarily a hard and fast rule, but something that we've noticed as we've worked with various clients and designing off, you know, different options for their facilities. There's kind of a break point that we see pretty consistently of, okay, hey, hybrid might make sense if I'm 144 squared and below. Okay, so let's stay copper in this 144 squared and below because that's going to be more cost effective for me because I'm a little localized and I'm not doing these long runs. Now, once you start to get into these larger systems, fiber starts to make a lot of sense because now you're not, you have to pull way more cables. And again, copper is not cheap right now. And it doesn't seem like it's good. Well, it's been getting better. But again, it's one of those things that glass is pretty easy to make. Copper, not as much, right? So moving to fiber infrastructure as you move into these larger systems, now instead of a copper cable holding one signal, I have a fiber cable holding dozens of signals and transmitting those around. So that's where the larger the system gets, 
you kind of hit this break point of, okay, now it's starting to make more sense for me from a financial and economical perspective to start looking into the more fiber centric approaches or IP centric approaches as well. If you, if you bring it, if you bring it down to an economic model, a standard 3G BNC connector is three bucks. A 12G connector is up to $12. So do that times, just do the math. Well, yep. and the other side to that is there's a certain online retail provider that starts with A that literally sells um, fiber jumper cables and full-length fiber pre-terminated cables at a very cost-effective price point because they're using them in their data centers all over the world. So um, the, the cost of entry for fiber for a smaller facility uh, is is much more attractive too, even though those short runs could be more cost effective in copper. It's really back to what's the best scenario going forward and you know who's gonna pull that cable if it needs to be pulled back. So um, these are these are kinds of conversations we all have to have, as Mason said, with our clients during the design phase to determine what's the best approach based on what their needs are, what their existing equipment is. You know, we've got projects where we've uh, we're in the we're kind of in that middle point of migrating from baseband to IP, and they've got an investment in say camera systems that they're not ready to, you know, get loose cut loose. Uh, so we throw converters on there, and oh by the way, they can still be in parallel running baseband signal out of the cameras too. So it provides the hybrid model for me provides a roadmap to help a client move from one protocol to another while not having to necessarily do a complete facility overhaul. And I, and I think a couple of things we need. Um, one, um, fiber's laid in, it's not pulled. If you pull fiber like you pull coax, you're yeah. gonna have to lay the fiber in again later because it's not going to work. And two, if you're looking up at your wire trays and going, yeah, look at all that orange stuff up there, I'm good to go. No, you're not. Not all fiber is created equal. That's stuff that was from the old fiber channel days. It actually was designed to handle 4G worth of bandwidth going down it. Not adequate for your task. If it's orange, don't even think about it. Mason, all you. Yeah, and I mean, John was hitting on a really good point there, the transitionary, right? So, you know, versus instead of, let's flip the script. Instead of having a conversation about you know, hybrid facilities and like I was kind of getting into look at the size and how I'm spread and things like that. John, unfortunately, as much as all of us, I'm sure, wish was the case, we don't get millions of dollars in one shot to just go ahead and upgrade my facility wholesale. One, I mean, if I'm a broadcaster, I have to maintain on-air operations. Um, if I'm a, you know, corporate house of worship, be I, I don't can't just go dark for this whole period. So there has to be a transitionary on-ramp and hybrid allows them, us to do that. What's really cool is in IP infrastructure, uh, and sorry, I shouldn't say infrastructure, in IP, IP processing, what is a gateway today? So, you know, to John's point, hey, I have a bunch of newer cameras that are all baseband native. Uh, okay, cool, let's throw in some gateway or whatever we need to get it into the IP world. Okay, now that gateway, these cameras, they're aged, five years goes down the road, I'm replacing these cameras. I'm going to go IP centric. What do I do with all these gateways I own? 
Well, the beautiful thing about going IP is now that infrastructure can be repurposed and not as a gateway, but maybe as a processing tool, an up-down cross, a JPEG XS encoder, a multi-viewer, uh, whatever you, you know, they continually improve what software-defined elements these pieces of equipment can do. And that's the kind of the beauty of the, of the game is you're talking about an FPGA, flash it with some new firmware, and now I'm off to the races doing something totally different. So that evolutionary model, the biggest fears that I see when I'm in, in discussing with clients is I don't want to make investments that aren't serving me down the road, right? And that's the other beauty is baseband. These were appliance-based systems, one-trick ponies. They did this. This is what they did. They did it great. They did it solid. But now, hey, I don't need this particular tool or use case anymore. Well, in IP world, that's not a throw away and forget about it. That's a, again, re, you know, flash that firmware, get something new going on on that particular device, and it's still viable and usable in your system, right? So really gives you a nice, you know, story to tell your CFO, CEOs, the people who actually care about these investments and how long the useful life cycles are of these investments. The story gets really strong there moving to IP because now I can actually show the value of this isn't a one trick pony piece of equipment that in five years down the road isn't going to do me any good. This is a piece of equipment that can evolve with me as my inner as my environment evolves with the changing of the times. So so the, the thing is, you, you said the magic acronym there, CFO. So budget and scope for a studio. What what do you guys think are some of the key considerations are going to be for successfully transitioning from baseband to IP? And what are the challenges that are going to pop up during the process? How is this budget thing going to play into this decision-making on which path to go? Mason, you've made some great arguments there for, hey, this is going to be a much longer-term investment, even though you think it's just short-term. So we're talking SMPTE, it's things like NDI, or sticking with baseband. Um you know, Mark, what vendors do you see leading uh, each of those sides? Well, I mean, I think it, uh, you know, it's interesting. The industry as a whole is moving to IP. You know, all we can talk about is cloud. And, you know, we talk about on-prem, we talk about off-prem, we talk about cloud. That all requires IP. A lot of the manufacturers are... I would say the majority of manufacturers are heading in that direction. Even hard, steadfast hardware-based manufacturers like Ross just got a, you know, $49 million grant from the government to support their cloud initiative, which is a $250 million initiative. These guys are these guys are have been copper guys for a long time, right? Well, <laughs> it's not going to be copper for long. So, so th this is the transition point in our industry. Um, one of the things is, is we're using a lot of COTS, you know, off-the-shelf hardware, servers, switches. And these are obviously, you know, HP, Dell, uh, Arista, you know, these, Cisco. These are big players. The broadcast industry is a pimple on the tuchus of this industry, right? It is big. There's a lot of money behind it. Um, and the manufacturers are going more towards a business model of SLAs. They want the recurring revenue. They want to sell licenses. They don't want to sell hardware as a one pop. They want to keep you in the house and they want to be able to project 
reoccurring revenue. That's the model of the manufacturer. That's the industry. So if the industry is producing tools like this, is, this is what is going to be delivered to us. We will not have a choice. This is where we are going to go. This is where we are going to be. Um, from an economic standpoint, you know, it's it's all based on size. I mean, you can put a very cost-effective IP solution in with certain manufacturers. NDI is a very cost-effective way to deploy a system, right? Um, you know, uh, 2110, a little bit more. There's advantages, disadvantages. Obviously, we, we brought up a very short period of time. Be very aware of what Audinate is doing with Dante. Uh, no latency. Uh, they're going to get into the space distribution very heavy in the AV space. Uh, there's only one manufacturer sitting on top of it right now dealing with live production as far as switching it in real time. But that will be another um, another thing to consider. you got to understand how standards are made. These are manufacturers get together and they create standards, right? This is not an external entity creating standards. It's just mass creating standards. It's somebody pushes an initiative and it becomes a standard. I think the key is interoperability is, is, is the primary concern. But economics, um, it's always kind of the same. Every couple of years you go out and get a PC and it's kind of, it's kind of st still in the same pocket as what we would, what we would have put on a baseband cost of a baseband facility is kind of what an IP facility costs. At the end of the day, we're probably sitting in that same range, if you will. It's all about the size of it, though. Yeah, what's an interesting transition and just to kind of like from a cost perspective, right? Here's something to just kind of keep in mind as you're as you're evaluating these things. You know, baseband infrastructure and baseband equipment, uh, you know, as we mentioned, like 12G connectors, basically factor of four. Moving from a 3G environment to a 12G environment, you're at a you're at a factor of four. Whatever you were spending in 3G, just multiply it by four, and now you're in 12G, right? But costs are still going down in baseband side of things for the most part. So, but you have all this extra wiring. So installation costs are high, right? It all inverts when you do it with with whether it's 2110, whether it's NDI, whether it's you know. We haven't even gotten into some of the AV standards, right? IPMX and Audinates and all these other flavors that we have out here. It inverts because now you're pulling it, well, laying, fair point, Jeff, but now you're working with fiber optic and sure, your equipment costs are going up. You're talking about lasers, you're talking, you know, these are more expensive pieces of gear, but the installation costs are starting to go down because remember, that one cable's doing actually a dozen or so, or maybe more, right? Depending on the link speed versus one to one, right? So these things are inverting, um, but I would agree with Mark. Typically speaking, you're right in that same kind of range. And it all obviously depends on, then you play the game of, you know, what level and what, what performance do I need out of this equipment? And that's what kind of gives you that top and bottom of the range but they are kind of starting to balance it out. At the beginning of the game, IP was, you know, you had to have deep pockets to start getting into that. Not to mention deep pockets, you had to have some serious patience and some serious chops to get it all going and working. Interoperability, interoperability has been improving significantly. AMWA has been helping a lot with that, with NMOS, 
Uh, there's others out there as well, Ember Plus and other interoperability APIs that are allowing systems in the IP world to start to work together more plug and play like we're used to with your traditional copper infrastructure with SDI, baseband, HDMI. Let's start opening the conversation to AV a little here, right? So it's like now in the AV side, you know, we're used to just plug it in, the things talk to each other, they go, right? Now we have to have this whole nother set of interoperability for the AV specifics. We've got to track HDCP, we got to track EDIDs, we've got to track all this various additional information that SD2110 really doesn't necessarily address. And that's why we're seeing the advent of things like IPMX, which IPMX is largely based on 2110 with some additional interoperability hooks like IS11 uh, and again, an AMWA standard, right? So you have all these players that are working together to try to define these things because we're still, and I don't want to say the word infancy because 2110 is, is it's out, it's, it's developed, it's working, it's in facilities all over the world. Uh, but like IPMX and AMWAS and uh, IS11 that's been developed, that is specifically focused on handling some of those those EDID issues and those HDCP issues and things that in the AV world were just plug and play, I'm good to go. Those are highly complicated tasks to happen in a network defined environment. And until we get all those operability pieces really smoothed out, there's always that initial you know, barrier of entry, whether it be cost, complexity, knowledge, experience with that type of equipment. Um, and, you know, that's where it comes down to finding good partners, working with solid integrators, working with companies that are open to the open standards and not closed and in their own little ecosystems, kind of developing and working in their own worlds. Right. So that's also the other big piece here is beyond inter interoperability, making sure that the product mix that you're looking at is actually open armed to that interoperability world and not a little close, you know, close pool that only they can put swim in type of deal. I'll, I'll add one more thing to that and I'll make it short, but I just want to circle back to the, the budget conversation. So often the way we approach these designs, um, you know, of course the, the initial people we're talking to, they want everything, right? That they want the, the whole enchilada. Um, and then they get into the budget conversation and, CFOs or whoever are actually handling the money are like, hold on a minute. So back to that kind of hybrid model as a transition point is a system, an IP-based system can be designed in phases because we're looking at it the same way we would look at a standard network um, in the sense of adding central, you know, key components in the core and then branching out or fanning out to endpoints on the network. So from a budgetary standpoint in a conversation with a CFO as an example, it could be, look, this is what the entire thing is going to cost, but if we can do this much this year, and then we know what we are going to need to do for next year, and then we'll eventually get there over the course of a period of time, but we already know what those costs are going to be, of course, counting in inflation and so forth of, of uh, costs going up, but at least the shopping list, if you will, is there for people to be able, for CFOs to be able to see whether they can do it all now or they have to fan it out over a period of time. And we've had times where, you know, in our conversations early on, they're like, oh, that's that's not going to happen. And then when we approach that budgetary conversation that way and explain the fact that this is going to ultimately provide a more cost-effective solution in the long run, suddenly the money can magically appear. 
Definitely. So we're going to we're going to jump into standards in, in a quick second. One thing I just wanted to point out on this is one of the things I think we need to have people look at is what are your Gazintas and Gazatas going to be in the near future? Because we're, we've been talking about copper versus fiber, and we've been talking about IP versus baseband. And the thing is, they're actually two completely segregated conversations. We can feed serial digital down fiber. It's ST2022, it's a SMPTE standard. If you think you're gonna be going there, but you don't have the money for the ST2110 environment now, in terms of its processing, you can still put the fiber infrastructure in with the idea that, hey, we're gonna put in a router that does SDI over fiber in the short term, later to re be replaced by the entire um, ST2110 infrastructure when I go IP. And you know, also NDI can go down fiber too. You're just not gonna get power over that ethernet line. So standards, we're gonna go a rapid fire round on this one. We'll get into IP based standards themselves. It's gonna be a long list. So that's why we needed this rapid fire. Um, SMPTE 2110, what's new with it? Mason, what do you think? I mean, really the big push is, you know, the latest greatest stuff has been really hammering through the interoperability aspect of things, right? I development, AMWAS development, ISO four, five, six, seven, eight. Now you know, we keep going, right? We we know that there's been interoperability challenges, getting these systems to play together nicely, to negotiate between each other. Uh, that's always been a piece that's that's been troubled, but now we're starting to get to the point where hey, things are actually starting to play nice together and they're working well together from an IP-based standard. Um, the other side of that is just you know. We've developed a big wide, I mean, you can go by from two by two pixels up to 32,000 by 32,000 pixels, right? So we've built the future proofing in the standard. The standard's ready for anything we're going to throw at it down the road. It's just, you know, continuing to dial in the interoperability piece and make sure that, you know, we don't have these issues moving down the road. The other piece that I'm seeing is there's, you know, and not necessarily standard specific, but manufacturers are now catching up, right? So like, Hey, I wanted to. Do, I want to do a master control in IP. Two or three years ago, good luck. Uh, no one makes any of that equipment yet, right? So that's the piece that I see. It's not necessarily as much standards driven, but now there's more and more products coming to market that will allow you to do the things that you need to do that you easily did in the baseband world in the IP world. Um, so again, consistently developing the software-defined tool set to start to expand into the tool sets that we had to focus on the key stuff right away, right? Routing, processing, multi-viewing. Now we're at, you know, we're starting to see more and more uh, technologies come into that mix. Downstream keying, master control switching, things of that nature. Those are the pieces that are really starting to, manufacturers are starting to present. And that's what I think is the most exciting in 2110 right now beyond the standard itself and really dialing in its interoperability. But now how do we get the whole product mix, the whole toolkit mix into this environment? And we're starting to see that really come through. Um, that's that's we, a quick answer, rapid on, fire from Mason. <laughs> so rap, next to the rapid fire, same question about NDI. What's new? What's oh, cool? All right, let's go rapid fire again, Jeff. NDI. So NDI. Um, what, what's been really cool to see on the NDI front is like NDI came to market with a lot of that interoperability stuff figured out. 
in-band control of PGZ cameras. Um, you know, that's one example of many, right? What I'm seeing with NDI is the expansion into larger frame rate, or sorry, larger frames, higher frame rates, right? So NDI HX. NDI tools has a ton of cool stuff. I mean, blew my mind the first time I saw a little NDI KVM. I'm like, oh, that's genius. Why, why, haven't, why haven't we been doing this earlier, right? Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff that NDI came to market, you know, with a pretty complete package. Um, and now they're just extending that package further into the demand for higher frame rate, higher raster size, larger raster size content, and then also continuing to expand the NDI toolkit. An NDI toolkit is, you know, one of those things that's a beauty around a software-defined network is, hey, all I need to do is to develop that particular tool and then incorporate it into my standard, right? So easy to start bolting things in to that type of standard, and that is exactly what NDI has been doing. Uh, developing that standard, adding tools to it, and that's really, in my opinion, what I've seen that, that excites me the most about where NDI is going and what they're trying to do with that, that protocol and product. Mark, are you just as excited about uh, Dante AV? In that space, absolutely. I mean, once again, this is, this is a cat cable. This is network. This is easy same the same things apply this this space is really well known the convergence of ip and being able to trans transmit audio and video only is going to get better and better and better and this is the direction that it's going to go i mean it really is you got to remember you know the last we used to say the last mile but the last the last 20 feet is still copper usually <laughs> i mean we're still doing copper it's but it's an rj45 connection right I, I see high hope in not in, in the I, IP space. You know, I think they will probably somehow blend gateway cross within the broadcast space. I mean, it's it, it's very good quality. It's um, it does not have the latencies of NDI. Um, you know, and there are other formats. There's SRT. There's other things that you saw in the very beginning of this show. Uh, you know, for for a client, it can get very confusing. You know, what, what are all these acronyms? What's this language they talk? All I want to do is go out and shoot some good video and communicate a message, <laughs> right? That's what we are doing. Um, how it get? you know, you got to remember everything's analog at the beginning. I always tell everybody that. Same thing applies. A camera's analog. You got to pick up chips. It's analog. It gets converted to digital. And then it just goes down a path, gets processed, and they get spit back out, right? It still takes people. It still takes knowledge on how to do production and communicate a message or present an event, um, those skill sets don't change. All we're doing is transport mechanism. That's all we're talking about, right? You still have to know how to do the basics to be able to communicate. And more and more people are going to be using this visual medium to communicate. It, you know what? And the thing is, it, it's very right. important information. Let, so let's jump in. Sarah had a question. Have you found that most vendors' products are interoperable with ST2110? Are they interpreting the standard and implementing it so they just work together? Um, people are having to do a lot of plug-in tests to validate. Um, what are we seeing as an integrator? What advice do you give to the vendors to improve that? As an, as an integrator, <laughs> we step in it first, right? I mean, a lot of it is lessons learned in the field because they do not replicate those specific instances in their labs. 
that we are using lots of dispersed disparage types of equipment and trying to bring it together. Unfortunately, we and our clients sometimes are the guinea pigs uh, because they can't vet everything as possible. But, you know, I think a lot of vendors are trying to get it close. Those, those that adhere and work in the sandboxes together uh, and, and, and cross-test are the ones that are going to be the most successful. We don't want to bring, uh, as an integrator, non-vetted solutions to our clients, except this is, this is kind of a little bit of the still the new frontier. More directly answer you, Sarah, JTNM. That's what I love about the standard set is JTNM does this testing and verification. There's a party, everyone gets together, we all plug our stuff into switches and we all see how it all works together, right? Check your gear against the JTNM verifications. That's why we do that. Now, that being said, there's, you know, span between the year between these certifications. Yes, there's labs built up by various manufacturers and open source groups that are working with these systems, you know, live as they get developed. But that's where we kind of step in it is, hey, here's a new product. Okay, great. It's NMOS capable. Oh, right. Their interpretation of this particular piece of NMOS was slightly different than this person's interpretation. My favorite example is audio essences, right? Are you a four, you know, a essence with four channels or an essence with eight? Or how are you playing your game, right? Everyone has a little bit different mix, and it's about understanding those in the front end. And JTNM is a very good tool to leverage, to see exactly where they pass the tests, where they're falling short, why are they falling short? Because it is a very detailed analysis of all of these various products, right? So I would certainly leverage the JTNM uh, for the 2110 specifically, obviously. So JTNM works with AMWA and the 20 SD2110 and SMPTE standards, and ultimately kind of vets and verifies equipment against that particular set of standards and interoperability. It is. And, and I've heard that we've now run out of bits of time to continue talking. So my apologies to Matt Damon. We will have to get to some other things later. There, I think, are a few questions that we will be still uh, discussing and kicking back into the chats. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. It's great to have you and, and this this fun fun discussion about uh, IP and uh, all, all the fun stuff that goes into building a facility. Thanks for watching Broadcast to Post. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive future episodes. Follow Keycode Media on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to receive news on additional AV, broadcast, and post-production technology content. See you next time, folks.